If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Daniel. Uh, Today's scripture reading comes from chapter 5, verses 13 through 30. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. If you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven." And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. (laughs) And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Peres, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Let's pray together. Father, thanks uh, so much for your presence with us this morning, Lord. Thank you that uh, you open the eyes of our heart and the eyes of our mind uh, to understand your word. 
and to speak to us. So, Father, we pray that even this Old Testament passage with a, with a, a very different story uh, than our normal experiences, even this, Lord, has incredible and profound, profound meaning for our lives, Father. So we pray that your Spirit would come, would work on our hearts, and help us to see you here this morning. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, my wife and I the other day were, were at a, uh, a store and we ran into two friends that we hadn't seen for a really long time. It probably been about uh, eight or nine years since we saw them before. And uh, they have little kids and we have little kids. And I asked them how life was going and they said, well, we have two little kids. So our lives are, are really, really chaotic. And then they looked at us and they said, well, you have three, well, three and a half, and, uh, and your lives must be even more chaotic than our lives are. And I said, well, chaos really is just chaos, right? Whether you have two kids, whether you have three kids, whether you have four kids, uh, life can be really chaotic. Maybe you're sitting here today and uh, you feel like your life is pretty chaotic, um, I know we've gone through seasons like that in our lives before because life can do that. It can throw us chaotic moments and uh, it can throw us curveballs that we're not really ready for. But that's why this book of Daniel becomes so important for us because this book of Daniel was actually written to people who had been thrown into, the, into chaos. It's a book written to God's people uh, when they had been conquered and exiled and carried away by a foreign ruler. They'd been carried away into chaos. And the general theme of the book that we've seen over the past couple weeks uh, really is a great theme for them at that moment, but also is a really profound meaning for us too. And when we face chaotic moments in life, and that is that in spite of present experiences, God is in control. In spite of present experiences that you may be feeling right now, God is in control. But there's a lot of other things that the book really talks about, a lot of minor themes that emerge as we've looked at these crazy stories uh, in the book of Daniel. And this morning's story is really no different. Because I think this morning's story, we, we see two examples or two vivid things that are really on display in this, in this ancient story and in these ancient characters. The first thing we see is an example of a, a prideful arrogance. And the second example we see is one of faithful presence. Prideful arrogance and faithful presence. But the first thing that we see is an example of prideful arrogance. And really, it's just a continue. If you're with us last week, it's really just a continuation of the very thing that we saw in the story last week. If you're with us last week, we looked at the story of King Nebuchadnezzar, who was uh, the king of, of this ancient empire of Babylon. And we saw him really pride himself on his accomplishments. The story tells us that he walked on his roof and, and looked over his kingdom and he began to kind of pound his chest in pride and, uh, and really fill himself up on good feelings about himself. Yet in that very moment, the story tells us that God chose to humble him in a really climactic way. 
Nebuchadnezzar, he, he loses his mind for a period of time. It says he becomes a, a wild beast that, that grazes in the fields just like uh, other animals. And then at the end of a certain period of time, the passage tell, or the story told us that, that he came to his senses and he praised the Most High God in that moment. If you were with us last week, the conclusion that we kind of drew from that story is that we are in our most sensible and our most reasonable state when we stand before God humbled and not in pride and arrogance. Often when uh, we give our kids instructions at home, we give our kids instructions based on our own personal experience, right? We make mistakes and we learn from those mistakes and we want to pass that on uh, to friends and to kids and family members. Just take, for example, we've all been told by our parents at some point that you don't want to touch a hot stove, right? But of course, what do we do? We go out and we touch a hot stove. We didn't learn from the mistakes that our parents made. Instead, we just had to learn those mistakes on our own. And maybe touching the hot stove is is just one of those certain errors. When our story opens, Belshazzar's kingdom uh, was was in a unique place, right? He had he had not learned from his father's. Uh, mistakes, his father's prideful arrogance. You see, he was a descendant of Nebuchadnezzar. We're not quite sure how much of a descendant he was, how direct he was, but we know that his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had struggled with pride, as many uh, people in power do. Yet God managed to humble him. But Belshazzar, instead of learning from his father's bad example, he chose to commit the very same error his father had committed. When our story opens, uh, Belshazzar's kingdom is under siege. The, uh, a foreign nation, the Medes and Persians, had, had just moved in and they were about to conquer the Babylonians. Now you would think that'd be a moment for anxiety for Belshazzar, but it isn't. He instead chooses to throw a great big party. He invites a thousand of his lords to gather together for this party. He invites all his wives and his concubines. And, and the passage tells us that, that wine and celebration was, was flowing in abundance all over the place. And the text is very careful to tell us a, a very important detail. And that is that Belshazzar chose to take certain vessels out of the storehouses and use them as a part of the celebration. These were, were temple vessels that were taken out of Jerusalem when, when the Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem and uh, they were holy to God's people. So Belshazzar takes these vessels and instead of using them for holy purposes, he uses them to toast all the foreign gods of the nation of Babylon. The long and short of it was this, that effectively what Belshazzar was doing was spitting in the eyes of the Most High God. He was taking the things that were holy to the Jews and he was committing blasphemy with them. And in so doing, he was positioning himself in arrogance against the Most High God. The story tells us that while he was at this party, uh, uh, an incredible thing happened. And that is a massive hand appeared out of nowhere and began inscribing words onto the walls of the palace. 
these words in this different language are inscribed on this wall. And verse 6 tells us, when this happened, the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. He was scared to death. And he was frantic about what this vision must mean for him and for his kingdom. He was so frantic that he had to understand what all this meant. So he called all of his professionals. He called his philosophers and his sorcerers and his astrologers all together to try to figure out what the meaning of this vision and this inscription was all about. And none of them could figure it out. So eventually he calls on God's man. He calls on Daniel who enters into the king's presence. Daniel has a powerful message for him. He says, Belshazzar, you have not learned from your father's mistakes. You have been captured by pride and arrogance just like he was. And he says this to him. He says, you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Friends, you and I might be, not be huge military commanders like Belshazzar was. We might, might not be kings of, of great ancient kingdoms like he was too. But our tendency towards prideful arrogance is just as strong as it was in Belshazzar's day. Christian Smith, who uh, is a famous researcher uh, who works out of the University of North Carolina, uh, he studies... um he studies child-adolescent development, uh, especially when it comes to, to spirituality and religion and all things about God. And he writes some pretty interesting things about uh, the current state of Christianity or the, the current state of people in faith in our culture. And what he said most recently, some, one of the things that he wrote most recently is really profound. And he said this, he said that many of us, many of us in the faith, adopt what he calls a moralistic therapeutic deism rather than actually believe in the God that is presented to us in the scriptures. And what he meant by that is this. He said, functionally, you and I might believe that God does exist somewhere out in the heavens and somewhere in the sky. He says we might use him from time to time to make us feel better about ourselves or make us feel better about our lives. He said we might use him to provide some sort of system of morality that, that helps us live our lives or parent our kids. He said, but practically or functionally, most of us still call our own shots when it comes to our lives. We functionally do what we want and we do it when we want to do it. We want to be our own gods and we hate when someone or something else intrudes in our sense of control over our lives. Effectively, we arrogantly place ourselves above God when it comes to our lives. So what Daniel has to say to us is really significant. He says, but the God in whom's hand is your breath 
and whose are all your ways you have not honored. I looked this up this week when I thought about this passage and uh, I did the math and I figured out that uh, each person breathes, inhales and exhales about 12 times per minute. Which means that since this service started, you've probably breathed a roughly, inhale and exhale, roughly about 360 times over the past half of an hour. You didn't have to think about breathing. It just happened, right? You just did it unconsciously. You weren't sitting here concerned about whether we would run out of oxygen while we sat here and breathed. You just breathed. It's the most basic and simplest reflex that we have as human beings. It's one of the most basic building blocks of life. Yet even our breath comes from the very hand of God. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, when he was confronted with his arrogance, eventually humbled himself before God. But when Belshazzar was confronted with his arrogance, he instead chose to ignore it. And we read about what happens to him at the end of the chapter in verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This passage, this story, is a warning for you and I. It's a warning for us against arrogant presumption that we can have before God. As we see the negative example of prideful arrogance in this person, person of Belshazzar. But beautifully, that's not all this passage shows us. It shows us another example. And it shows us the example of the faithful presence of Daniel. The faithful presence of Daniel. A few weeks ago, I shared with you what has made me so fascinated with the book of Daniel. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with uh, the current culture uh, that you and I live and function in nowadays. We've talked about how we've experienced recently a, a shift in our culture. We talked about how we can't really assume that you and I live in a Christian culture or a Christian nation anymore. Instead, we ought to think about the way we interact with culture in a similar way that Daniel did that we, when we read this book. You see, when Daniel was, was taken into exile, when he was captured and taken away, he didn't expect Babylon to be like Jerusalem. He understood the times and he wrestled with what it meant to be a follower of God in a culture that was at best apathetic to the faith and probably more commonly hostile to the faith. And maybe Daniel's faith or his posture towards culture is something that we ought to take our cues from as our culture becomes at best more apathetic to the faith and probably more closely hostile to the faith. And the thing that we see in Daniel as he related to the culture is what we see in him is faithful presence. James Davidson Hunter, who was, uh, who was another professor uh, at the University of Virginia, uh, wrote a book recently on this very thing. And the book's called To Change the World. 
And he advocates that believers today live in a culture of exile, just like Daniel did all those years ago in the Old Testament. And he said that the greatest way for us to impact culture is just the way Daniel did, through faithful presence. Speaking of the Jews in exile, he said this, but God was calling them to something different. Not to be defensive against, isolated from, or absorbed into the dominant culture, but to be faithfully present in it. You see, when Daniel was captured and carried into exile, he was most likely 16 years old. He was just a kid. And over his many, many years while being in exile, he saw several kings come and go throughout his time in exile. In fact, the passage that we've read this morning, most people think that when Daniel's called in to to consult with Belshazzar, he's become an old man at this point. He's probably roughly around 82 years old when this story was written. Yet when Belshazzar needed someone to make that interpretation, the queen instructed him immediately to go find Daniel. And she only knew this because she knew that Daniel had been faithfully present during his time of exile. That he was a man of light and wisdom and understanding. You see, years before God's people were conquered and carried into exile, the prophet Jeremiah had had predicted to them that this was going to happen. But he didn't didn't just predict to them that it was going to happen. He actually gave them advice as to what to do when they were carried into exile into this foreign culture. And what he said for them to do was pretty remarkable. He said this, He said, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city for where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You see, what God is instructing his people to do in exile is to very simply be faithfully present. Eugene Peterson calls this a long obedience in the same direction. Friends, you and I live in an instant society where results are often expected overnight or are often expected immediately. We tend to be people who are are fixed on what is always next or what is down the road or what we are most anticipating and looking forward to. We live in an increasingly mobile society where we seem to be traveling everywhere in a million directions all the time and we just always seem to be catching our breath. But in the midst of all this craziness and all this insanity, God calls you and I to a long and faithful presence in the same direction. Personally, we've seen this, but we've also seen this, this corporately, even as a church that's, that's trying to start in, in a new neighborhood. 
When my wife and I moved into this neighborhood just about three years ago, we were kind of expecting God to give overnight success to City Church and for things to explode overnight and and things to happen in incredible and miraculous ways. But the more we've been at it over the past several years, the more we've come to realize that God is simply calling us to be faithfully present. He's calling us as a church to be tangibly present, to tangibly display the gospel in small and simple ways for our neighborhood and for our city. I can think of relationships where we've begin, been praying for the, some sort of breakthrough in those relationships for three years. And in some cases, nothing has happened. And in others, some things have happened, but only incredibly slowly. Why? Because God is calling us to be faithfully present. Friends, I don't know where you are in your life right now. I don't know kind of what's on the pike for you or where the road of life is taking you. But where you are in your life right now is not by accident. This is God's plan for you. Wherever you are, this is God's plan for you right now, whether you are thrilled with it or not. Whatever environment you are in right now, God is calling you to be faithfully present in that moment. You might be called to wild success. You might be called to horrible failure. You don't know. I don't know. Only God knows. But what we do know is that he calls us to be faithfully present, to seek to display the glory of God in small and tangible ways to a watching world, to in humility serve others over and against ourselves, to pray for others, to, to seek for the welfare of others, to seek the welfare of our neighborhood and our city. Because as a church and as people, we are called to be faithfully present in our neighborhood, to pray for it and to seek its welfare. Don't be tempted, as I often am, to be captured by what is next and in the process, miss out on what is now. We see this in Daniel. We see an incredible example of faithful presence in his life. But the reality is the most beautiful picture of faithful presence in all of the scriptures isn't in the person of Daniel or in the story of these exiles in Babylon. The most beautiful picture of faithful presence is found in the person of Jesus Christ and what the gospel story tells us. The gospel story tells us that, that our world was created to be good, but the entrance of sin ended up corrupting all that God had made good. All the pain and the sadness that you and I experience day in and day out is due to the presence of sin and we are to blame for it. We have been weighed in the balance and we have been found wanting. God could have wiped his hands of us. He could have given up on us. He could have walked away, but instead he chose to rescue us. And his rescue came in the form of being present in our mess of becoming a man and walking among us. You see, Christ's faithful presence when he was here on this earth was tested at times. 
If you read the gospel story, there's this powerful image of Jesus in the, the Garden of Gethsemane praying before God the Father, asking God the Father for another way other than what he was about to have to go through. But the Father asked the Son, Jesus Christ, for his faithful presence. And that faithful presence took Jesus all the way to the cross. Because of that sacrifice, because of what he did for you and I, if we are his, then we never ever need to doubt his faithful presence in our lives. His love enfolds us and his presence is assured throughout all of eternity. He will never give up on us. Friends, if you are Christ, then know that you have been called not just to experience the faithful presence of God, but ultimately to be a faithful presence in this world, to display the greatness of God to all those people around you who are watching. But know that the strength to be faithfully present in this world comes in recognizing that Christ was first faithfully present in your life. Let's pray.